Oh, that was fun, huh? And uh, I really mean that so seriously for everybody uh, with regard to children and any other miracle we have in the church. Someone gets healed of a back injury or someone has a breakthrough with their job. We always say that. It's very powerful. It's not just trying to console people. If you understand the reality of testimony, the reality of breakthrough, God's a very plural, very corporate person, so much more corporate than I ever thought. And I'm just so surprised when somebody gets a breakthrough in an area. Uh, that's why it's so important to be a part of the body of Christ, <laughs> close enough to know when actually something good did happen, right? Or something's available. Hey, God's handing out healing. Hey, God's handing out uh, cars. Hey, God's <laughs> whatever he's handing out, you know. Hey, I'll get that. I'll come there too. So anyway, I want to read from 2 Kings 5, and I want to talk about God always being better than we think. I hope everybody has an outline, and if you don't, you want to wave your hand. Maybe one of the ushers will get one to you. So let's read. It's the story, a beautiful, wonderful story. I love this story so much uh, because it's the story of Naaman being healed of leprosy. Now, Naaman was this uh, radical warrior. He was uh, the the char- in charge of all the armies of Aram, uh, which were up north of Israel and tormenting Israel uh, all the time. And so he was a huge enemy of Israel. So uh, this guy wasn't exactly welcome when he came into Israel. He was, uh, uh, they had been bullying Israel and tormenting them and doing all kinds of things uh, to the political establishment, to soldiers, and to ordinary people. So here's Naaman, right? Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. That's a lot of money, by the way. I think it's about 750 pounds of of silver. (laughs) That's a lot. So you may not know the, the measurement, but he brought a lot of wealth. He really wanted to get well, right? The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. (laughs) Well, this wasn't well received (laughs) because he thinks, the king thinks he's provoking them into another conflict. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to, to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? And he's been doing that over and over again. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent them this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. (laughs) But Naaman, he gets really mad. He says, he gets angry. He said, Well, I thought... He would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over this spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, and they are, by the way, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Yes. Could I wash in them and be cleansed? No. (laughs) So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? I mean, it's a great warrior. He'd do anything, right? How much more then when he tells you, wash him and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. 
When Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, he stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may God forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rumen to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to be there also, bow also, when I bow down in the temple of Rumen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Joshua graciously says, go in peace. I mean, Elisha, go in peace. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on this guy. This Aramean, by not accepting from him what he, he, bought, he, brought, he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi ran, hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to him, uh, to the hill, sorry, he took the, the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from the chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Wow, isn't that interesting? A lot in there. So here's this guy this warrior, this persecutor, this murderer. And he comes and says, I'm leprous, I need help. So the thing is, he didn't have anything to offer. He thought he did, right? But he knew only a miracle could do this. Much of the provision we receive from God starts with an exchange. Matter of fact, I'd say almost all of it. Of our weakness for God's strength. You'll see this all through the Bible. And so as we're trying to do business with God, it's, we get into these various modes and places, right? But there's this exchange that always goes on. And it's so important for us to understand the process and how God works. So here's a hint, James 4, 5, and 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. So humble is important, evidently, in the kingdom economy, right? Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, we see all these blessings. It's called the Beatitudes, and many of us are familiar with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So I just want to read them, but as I read them, I just want to see you to see on the one side there's this weakness, and on the other side there's this strength. It's really, really important, and I, I just want to say that because I, I want to talk about this a little bit more uh, in detail as we just go through this, but I want to just preface it by saying, you know, in our atmosphere right now, there's just a lot of trouble. And as far as I can tell, it seems like there's about a lot more to come. And we, we know that. So it's really, really important in this time to get a hold of the grace of God. But one thing I see is I see tri- people uh, sometimes being a little bit too strong, um, 
getting a little bit beyond their headlights and stuff. And I think it's okay to be bold when God asks you to be bold. But I think what also is really necessary for this hour is that we get a hold of God and we humble ourselves in a way that causes what we do then in the marketplace. And I'm saying we need to be in the marketplace. We need to be speaking up. We need to be uh, telling our authorities what we think. We're in a democracy still. We can do that. But there's a way to do this in such a way that it's uh, it got grace in it. It has um, faith first toward the Lord who turns the keys of all government, right? And there's attitudes, I think. Matter of fact, we call these the Beatitudes. And it's so important for even the blessing of our life, blessing of our country, that we maintain these at the same time. If we have to be bold, it's at least seasoned with uh, the leading of the Spirit, truly in the Spirit, and, and walking hand in hand with God, and not have overwhelming anger or fear in it, because what that's really saying is, I'm scared to death, I'm really mad, and I don't believe you're going to do anything unless I punch you in the nose, or unless I tell you how afraid I am, right? And it's uh, this thing that we're dealing with on the earth, uh, uh, it's a little grander, isn't it? <laughs> it's a little bit bigger than just uh, some petty anger and politics. This is big, big. We're talking about Israel now and war. We're talking about cosmic forces. We're talking about things that ex- actually it feels like we're returning to the 70s a little bit if you live through those, right? And it's, uh, it feels the same dynamics. Why is that? Because the same demons are involved. <laughs> they didn't vacate, evidently. So they're trying to stir up problems. But God dealt with them one time. He'll deal with them again. Except it's important that our people learn that God is better than we think. And because He's better than we think, we can humble ourselves before Him and God will break through, both for our lives individually and corporately. So we're going to explore some of the, the dimensions of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We say, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not like this is Disneyland or <laughs> there's a special ride we get to go on, you know. Or a special rule, you know, with a scepter. It's the kingdom of heaven means the very rule of God in the affairs of humanity. So the poor in spirit move heaven's hands. This Naaman guy didn't have anything to offer. He thought he had something to offer. He had nothing to offer. But humility. When he turned in humility and did what he did, he became poor in spirit, right? Washed himself in that dirty Jordan River. And boy, it can be dirty too if you've ever been to Israel, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Wow, there's a whole bunch of people trying to inherit the earth without any meekness whatsoever, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is a really big deal. We have a thing called the mercy warehouse. If there's anything I wanted to build in our church and express through our church, it's mercy. Mercy. It's so important. For anything, we should be merciful. God's merciful. And guess what? We get shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Notice the weakness in all this? Blessed are you when people insult you. Well, that doesn't feel very good. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I've been trying not to injure my TV set, throwing things at it, 
when the things come across and I see different expressions of unrighteousness and weird stuff, and I have to remember, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. So far, my TV set's intact, but some days uh, it's really risky, right? And so it's so important that we, we see this, this principle. Much of the provision we receive from God starts with an exchange of our weakness for God's strength. All Naaman had to offer was weakness. He wanted to offer strength, but he didn't have any strength. As a matter of fact, God wouldn't have it any other way. This is just the pattern. And this pattern we see all through the Scriptures. I want to read from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That doesn't mean you can't do noble things. It just means that it just seems like most of us start with God at the bottom, not at the top, right? We come to a Naaman-like place. And I'm looking across, and I know many of your stories. Many of you came to the end of your rope, to the worst situation in your life, and that's when you gave your heart to Christ, right? And so it's pretty common, right? Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. There are some that repent and turn even in the midst of great wealth and great power. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. This is really, really important. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So God's better than we think. When we're weak, He's stronger than we think, right? When we're weak, we think God's a million miles away. No, 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 no. It's just the opposite. He's closer than ever, right? But God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. He just doesn't like boasting very much. <laughs> it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Naaman would have paid any price for his healing, but the only payment required was humility and faith. God wanted to show Naaman unconditional favor, but Gehazi distorted it. Now, I want to just share with you how important everything I'm saying to you. You know this through what Gehazi did, because God was underlying a principle. And because of Gehazi's action, he's, he's double underlined what he's trying to say. God hates it when his grace and his heart are misrepresented. So his grace, his mercy, even to this evil person, was being misrepresented. Gehazi went to get some, something from him, right? But Elisha wanted him to know it's for free. This grace you get is for free. And I'll guarantee you, as we're going to see at the end of the story, Elisha and God were after more than Naaman. Because you see, if it's for free, it's just for free. That has such a cataclysmic effect. And it had a great cataclysmic effect eventually on Aram, as we're going to see at this story. In other words, God goes after everything, but he exerts his authority through mercy and grace. And so Gehazi actually gets leprosy, but it's, it shows you where God's at on this. He hates this other attitude, right? He gives to wicked people, you and me, people who don't deserve it, he gives mercy and grace. And that's what he wants from us, right? Three areas where our faith, our weakness, and God's strength work together. One of them is, of course, salvation. Salvation. Just, just how we all start. And there's just so many marvelous passages, but no better than Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. So when you got saved, it's the gift of God. And of course you have to make some sort of step toward the Lord, but the great thing about this is we don't have to take too many dramatic steps. You would think that he would make name and do something, run 10 miles, you know, go to the highest, get a feather from some kind of eagle or <laughs> anything, you know. You know, fast a week, something, anything. But salvation is offered by God. It's an act of His grace. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. We, we don't measure up in any way. It's important that we understand that. So then what that does is it helps us to do the most important thing that God's really after in the universe, and that's fall in love with God. Not just be under Him, but love Him. How could you not love someone like this? You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. So you're saved. No one can boast about it. And then through the power of His Spirit, He has all this stuff you get to do. And he says, go and do the same. Have the same mercy. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And love is a strong thing. It looks weak, doesn't it? But God's so good, his goodness conquers everything. He's always better than we think. And I think it's so important in our own lives. A lot of us have been suffering. It's so important that we have this underlined red in red for our own life. Yes, we've gone through some troubles and trials. We don't have to go very far without realizing how fortunate we are, especially right here in Orange County. We are so fortunate. You know, my brothers in Cambodia and India and other countries, it's really rough right now. Really, really rough. It's it's horrible, you know. People starving to death. uh, Nothing's working. The little economy they had are are completely in shambles. And so we have so much to be thankful. I'm so grateful uh, from God for all the things He's done for us. You know, it's interesting. There's some stories in the Bible that just underline this theme over and over again. I, there's some of my, best, my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, you know, because I see such hope for me and for other people I'm ministering to, you, you know, just to see God's grace manifested. You look at Mark chapter 10. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It's the story of blind Bartimaeus because there's this other concept here of hunger is involved here too, you know. Um, this guy's just hungering uh, for God. He doesn't have anything to offer except a yell and a scream. <laughs> then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. (laughs) It's kind of a dumb question, you would think, right? Jesus wanted him to say it. I want to see. Sometimes in our weakness, that thing is called prayer. And that's about all you got going for you. (laughs) But God loves to hear you say it. God, I want to see. I need a job. God, I want you to heal this relationship. I want a miracle. I need you to break in. 
Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. See, God calls that faith. All he did was scream. God calls that faith. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. God is always better than we think. A guy screams and he gets a miracle, a dramatic miracle. That's amazing, isn't it? When I think of Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, this famous thing, you know, and, and I'm sure it's being, uh, you know, all, all, over, all over the uh, Christian world. You know, we, we've been preaching on this and people have been talking about this particular passage because it's such a beautiful passage. It has to do with prayer and the people of God gathering together in prayer, right? But I want you to notice a couple of words here that are really important. So God's speaking to Solomon. He says, The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. So where is the new temple? It's right here. We're the temple of God. We offer sacrifices. When we worshiped, we offered the sacrifice of praise. That's coming out of New and Old Testament. David's the one that called worship, praise, the sacrifice of praise. So we're giving sacrifices. So this is what we do. And we pray. It's a sacrifice. Now, the picture, of course, is the Old Testament temple where they were offering things. But it was all to get favor. All those animal sacrifices were to get favor from the Lord. But there's only one sacrifice now needed, and that's Jesus, right? So we're in such a better place. The New Testament calls us in a better place, that better sacrifices have now been offered. But look, even in the old sacrifices, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name, and sometimes we just like skip this little two-word thing, the very first thing he says, will humble themselves. So this humility, this weakness is so important and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Notice that? Or send a plague among my people. If my people, that would be us, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So we have some problems in our country, in the world, that are so overwhelming, no one knows how to handle them. And the people of God know how to handle this. It's just a different way. God's better than we think. So they know that if they'll just humble themselves and pray, God will do this. I mean, really pray. Not just throw up something in desperation, hope, but I mean, really go after God. Just ask Him continually, every day, every time I think about it. God, heal the economy. God, heal this plague in Orange County. But somehow or another, what happens is sometimes something else gets in place. And then we go down another road. Prayer is such a difficult thing for many of us because it's such a humble thing. Like Naaman, you always want to do more. (laughs) Surely there's more to it than that. And these words that I'm saying from my mouth, they just seem to fall off and hit the ground, don't they, sometimes? They don't seem to be going anywhere. But they're going right to the heart of God. They're like liquid gold, so to speak. They're like going right to the heart of God. They're flowing to Him. He likes it that way. He set the whole thing up like this. So we've got to be careful as uh, we're in the world and we're representing Jesus before the world. We've got to make sure that we come from this place. It's the most powerful thing of all. And we need to take our place with God's people and humble ourselves and ask God to change this around. 
Now, Naaman learned the direct lessons, the lessons of, of direct encounter with God. That's Roman numeral two. You see, learning to receive God's spirit, however and whenever he comes, is the key. So what happens? God answers him. He says, go wash in the river over there. <laughs> he didn't like the answer. He thought, this can't be. So he had kind of made God in his own image, but he was right at the throne room getting the word, right? So when God comes and gives a solution, there may be nothing more than a simple prayer, and maybe something else that's so simple, or maybe something that God asks of you in terms of humility, it almost always involves that some direction, right? So when that happens, and if you're humble enough, you'll see the way out. I've just seen this over and over in my spiritual life, how God comes to me in this way. If we look at Ephesians uh, 2, 8 to, 8 to 10, we, you know, the, 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 this question again of, of, of salvation, what a, an amazing passage. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Even the faith that you got to get saved is from God, right? Not by works so, so no one would boast. You are God's handicraft, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Even God prepared these works for us to do, these important uh, things, you know, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 10, for our salvation, right? And so we mentioned that, but I, wanted, I just wanted to reiterate and say, and, uh, insert that in there again, especially about uh, salvation. But when we talk about learning to receive God's Spirit, we notice that when Pentecost came, this is 2a on your outline, when God's Spirit came, it's interesting, it was at a weird time. Everybody's there. It was no private matter. And when it came, he came, it looked like everybody was drunk. How, how does that work? I mean, God starts his church and everybody looks drunk? And the first words out of the first sermon were, hey, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. I mean, if I were God and I was going to start this great grand thing called the church, the bride of Christ, and everybody looks drunk and I have to explain it, the very first words of the first sermon are that, that's what I call weak. <laughs> My goodness. You didn't have to be a genius. He just said, well, you know, this is the Holy Spirit that was promised. See, God decides how he comes to us, just as he did with Naaman, just as he does with the early church. Being vulnerable and open about our brokenness and problems is like a magnet for God's presence. You that have experienced addiction, you know where you got to go. You go weak. You go honest. And you do it with a whole bunch of other people, maybe, that have, are in the same place. And that's how you find healing. This confession that you do, this, this back and forth, this weakness, that's how you get strong. You just, isn't it amazing how out of a simple conversation and simple prayer that it's still the most effective way to break addiction with other people in their sharing uh, what you're sharing. I just was at a set-free uh, place. You know, I don't know if you know who that, that ministry and a friend of mine's deeply involved with that. And um, there's a place out the Ortega Highway, and I went there. And I just thought, my, my goodness, this is the most amazing thing. These people, they're receiving forgiveness. They're receiving freedom from their addiction just by being with each other, just by being willing to come and be in that place. They're being healed just by their weakness, just in coming. Receiving forgiveness from our failures. Isn't it amazing when we fail and we make mistakes how simple it is according to the scripture? 
right? If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. How, how can that be? God's better than you think. <laughs> you, mean, you mean I just confess? Well, yes, confess, be honest. You know, there's confession and there's on, then there's honesty. We're just talking about, look, God, I completely and totally blew it and I'm sorry. <laughs> Something like that. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. It's the same thing as jumping in that river. <laughs> Isn't it? The same thing. How could it be? But if you mean it from your heart, and even, even Naaman, I'm not sure he actually went with his whole heart into that river, right? But he did it. He did it. And here's the promise. God's not looking for geniuses. He's not looking for kings. He's the genius. He's the king. <laughs> He's looking for people who will follow him in weakness so he can be strong for them because he's so amazingly good. Hunger and humility will carry you to the river of God's presence more than anything I know because God gives grace to the humble. And once you're there, take some time <laughs> and spend when God shows up. Take some time and soak. Naaman was there seven times. He went under seven times, seven times. The grace of God, seven times, seven times. God was reinforcing something to him. And so for me, I've, I've learned this uh, through the years. I, I remember when I was first saved, um, one of my biggest things, the biggest hurdle I had was getting in front of all those people and getting baptized. I was absolutely terrified. And there was a huge block there. And I was just a little guy, 13 years old, but there was a huge block there. And I knew it. Even at that age, I knew it. I had just to humble myself. I was just, I was just embarrassed. It was embarrassing for me to be in front of all those people and admit that I was a sinner and then get this baptism in water and everybody's looking at me. You know, it was embarrassing to me. And I fought with that, even as a 13-year-old, over and over again. I fought with it, but I realize now what I was fighting, you know. I didn't want to be weak. I didn't want to look funny. I didn't want to be strange. Let me just say something. In a church like ours, there's a more than our share of people who aren't afraid to be weak. <laughs> so if people start being weak, you know, and asking for prayer and maybe falling down or something happens, oh my gosh, the great news about all that is it changes the atmosphere. You know what I mean? We're not playing around. We're not, you know... We're desperate people. We pretend like we're not. But I'm looking at a whole bunch of desperate people. I already know you. I know you and I know me. I'm desperate half the time. No, you're the pastor. No, I'm the desperate pastor. That's what I am. <laughs> I got the same stuff, man. I tell you. I, I, think, I always say to myself, you would think there'd be a day when I'd just grow up, you know, and be full of faith and vigor, you know. And I, more often than I find myself flat on my back once again, you know, just... And this sermon helped me a lot. <laughs> because God is so good. He's not looking for heroes. He's just looking for humble people who walk with Him. I remember when I was baptized in the Spirit. So most of you know what that means. You know, the early apostles, Acts chapter 2. You know, he says, the guys, or Acts chapter 1, he says, wait, wait. You know, you got, I know you know me. You believe in me. I'm fully resurrected. But you need the Holy Spirit. So that's what this weekend's going to be about. You know, and here's a hard thing for people. Speaking in tongues, doing that, oh man, it's some of the hardest things, you know, because what I'll do is I'll line you up <laughs> and I'll just go and pray for you one at a time. 
And uh, this whole thing of speaking in tongues, and here's one of the biggest fears. It just tells you where we're at. We want to make sure that we do it right. <laughs> so speaking, it's so funny because there's no way to do it right. You just speak and you just open your mouth and you make sounds. And because, <laughs> you, you know, then you're thinking, well, I'd at least like to speak French or, you know, just something nice, you know. <laughs> but it might, you know, come out like the Houthi tribe and wherever, you know. <laughs> And I tell you, I've heard some weird tongues. And it's sort of funny, you know. And and I, sometimes my tongue is switched into this crazy thing, you know, and I'm hoping nobody's listening, you know. It's embarrassing, you know. Oh, wish we could just get over all of that. But God likes that stuff. Matter of fact, I think maybe he just gets a lot of humor. I may have not just watched it. <laughs> did you see what that guy did the other day? <laughs> He'll get over it. He's going to be very happy. But boy, I tell you, did his pride come crashing down, you know. So here's what I did. The first time I came in this meeting, you know, and I was very intellectual, and even as a young kid, you know, I was 16, 17 years old, you know, and so we're in there, you know, and now comes the time where we're going to get prayed for to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And so I'm sitting in there. You know, most, <laughs> most of the room is a group of, a bunch of Presbyterians, so most of the room just vacated immediately. They were just gone, you know. But I was there, and a handful of other people were there, you know, and I'm thinking, man... And I'm just waiting. God, just get me. I want this. I know this is what I've been looking for. Just just get me. And I'm thinking, I wonder if it's going to be French or maybe it's going to be Italian, you know, Russian maybe. Just get me. Possess my mouth and get me. You know, but God didn't do it. He didn't do it at all. And I left there so broken, so discouraged. I thought, oh, man. I just knew, I know something's missing, man. I, I I read my Bible. I see the story about all the angels and all the crazies, and I never see nothing. I never see nothing supernatural, supernatural around this this Presbyterian church. The most inspiration I get out of the sermon is a headache. And I, <laughs> when I was younger, I'd even timed it so I'd fall asleep on my dad's head right as he was beginning the sermon, and then I would wake up. Just I had it down, man. I could just boom, I come alive. Oh, about 20 minutes. Here we go. We're alive, you know. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, my dad would. Do that every once in a while. <laughs> so I knew I needed something supernatural. So, so the next thing I, I said, I ain't going to that stupid meeting there. And I'm thinking, well, they probably, they're just probably making all that up, or I don't know who is this guy anyway. I know he's a Presbyterian pastor, but he must have a weird church, you know. I'm thinking, so finally I go in there again, and I couldn't take it. I was so hungry. See, hunger and humility will take you places that nothing else will. I was so hungry. I, I just had to find more reality. And God, I was, re- they, I was reading my Bible, but I just had to find, surely there's something more than what I'm getting out of this, right? So I was honest enough to, to say that much. And so he comes around again. So I'm sitting there, you know, on the front row again. So he comes this lady, prays for her, the most beautiful language. I, I knew it was God. I mean, it put goosebumps down. My, I mean, I'm thinking, that's the way you get it. You know, that's great. But how am I going to get it? So he lays hands on me again. And I'm so desperate. I said, you know, I think I'll copy a couple of this lady's words over here. <laughs> Notice, that's what I did. So I got, I got like two words out. Duh, duh, like that, like something like that. And all of a sudden, I started speaking, you know. I, and I was, I was doing the words, and I thought, hey, I can do this. I can stop. Wow, that's amazing. I thought it would just possess me or something. No, I can speak. But I realized that the words I was saying were supernatural. I could feel it, right? But it started with me just taking a little step, you know, like dipping in the river or something. You know, I just, <laughs> that's all I did. I just jumped in and spoke, and, and the words began. And, and here's the thing. 
for me, as a Presbyterian sort of intellectual kid, for me it was like, wow, was that it? I didn't feel hardly any emotion, but I knew something supernatural had happened, but I had almost no emotion. Almost none. And I, and I think, but you know, I knew something had happened. So I went up to the hotel room, look in the mirror, watching my mouth as it's moving in the mirror, you know, I'm watching. That sounds, what is that? Man, my jaw's tired. What is that language anyway, you know? I knew it, but I was so unemotional about it. Now, the funny thing about in the same meeting, my youth pastor, who could never answer one question for me about anything, you know, just, you know, tried to take it, where's the angels? Where's the healing? Where's the demons? Nothing. He could tell me nothing, you know. And uh, so he, unbeknownst to me, had snuck into the same meeting. So after I spoke in tongues, I'm, I'm like <clears throat> in there, and all of a sudden I hear this yell. Blah! And then I look, and just to see my my youth pastor crashing over five chairs into the ground. Belly flop. Like he's shaking like he's being electrocuted. And my eyes got this big. I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, oh my, what? Whoa, what happened? Just like, I just, I've been saying that a lot lately. What happened? Anyway, I'm just looking at that. And, uh, and he got, he, he's the one that got hammered. I was calm, right? But he, he, he made a mistake going to the meeting and he opened his mouth. But when he opened his mouth, he got more than he bargained for, right? So that's the great adventure of God. Because God's always better than you think, right? And you would think you'd have to earn that kind of thing. And from that moment forward, I've been speaking in tongues and praying in tongues, and my life completely changed because all that prayer going up in, in that prayer language was changing me, rearranging everything, all my attitudes. I ended up at, uh, instead of a state school, I ended up at Oral Roberts University, met her in line, first person in line, I met her, got my wife right away, and all this stuff began to change. <laughs> And I got on this roller coaster, and then I thought I was going to be a doctor, you know, and I got all the way into medical school at the University of Oklahoma, only to find out I was supposed to be a pastor, and I had great grades and everything, and I left. I walked away, took another big plunge and in my weakness, and the weakness was, what are you going to do? Oh, Dad, I, I, well, what? he says, what are you doing for a job? I said, well, I'm working. He said, well, what are you working at? And I said, well, I'm throwing newspapers early in the morning. He said, what? I said, I'm just throwing newspaper. I was, you know, I said, well, where are you the rest of the day? Well, I'm at the church. Well, what do you mean at the church? Well, I, I just volunteer and do anything that nobody else wants to do. He says, oh, really? That's why you left med school? Well, I think so. <laughs> but God caught me, and he made my destiny play out from that place. Everything about my life has been the same. We planted the church. How we got the word. I've told you many of how, how that even came about. We got involved with Cambodia and all the things we got involved with. Every country, every place. It's always weak. He always makes me walk at weak, weak, weak. Absolutely weak. Even these buildings, I was thinking about it. How, how we bought them. and everything. I mean, absolute weak. And then God comes. But you have to be able to step into that. And you'll all have your own version and time for that, for your life, whatever you're looking from God for, right? Sometimes it keeps people away because they think they've got to be these heroes of faith. They've got to be, no, you just got to be willing to take a step of faith and look a little silly like washing in the water, right? But it doesn't take that much, right, if you think about it. And then God comes and backs you up, right? Hunger and humility 
Hunger drives you into these humble places, by the way. That's why I stayed for the tongues. I was so hungry. I, there's got to be more. I need this. I, I, well, however it works, I've got to find out how this works, right? It will drive you into God's presence and bring humility with it. And so Naaman goes in, and he dips seven times. God solves our problems and brings us into deeper relationship with Him all at the same time. That's another way He's better than we think. So your problems that you have now are the greatest opportunity to come into wonderful, deeper relationship with God. So this is what happened to this guy. Second Kings, we see it here in uh, chapter 5 again. Verses 15 to 19. He goes says, he dips himself in the thing, he, the, the guy won't, he, at first he wants to offer something, right? Then he says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Remen to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Remen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. What a beautiful thing that is. He comes into relationship with God. He knows there's only one God, and he knows he's going to have a problem when he goes back. <laughs> Because the kings don't want him to go into this false god. And he says, I don't believe in that god anymore. And could I, by the way, could I take some earth here and bring my own altar and everything, you know? I mean, you could be religious about this in so many ways. No, there's only one, uh, only one building. You go to that place, and that's where you sacrifice. And also, uh, you know, he shouldn't be going to that altar, that temple. No, what does God do? He's so nice. He's better than we think. He just says, don't sweat it. Go in peace. I know your heart. Wow. Man, our pain makes us more vulnerable to God, and God reveals himself to us. This is the reason for his leprosy in the first place. Sometimes that's the reason why you have problem in the first place. Because God's wanting to show mercy and reveal yourself, himself to you. You know what? This present COVID crisis is a great opportunity for people to draw close to God and see him release his power. Have you seen that in your own life yet? This COVID crisis is a small thing to God but a great opportunity for his church. It feels so uncomfortable, so bizarre, even evil. But I think the first thing we need to see out of it is we need to see the opportunity that God has for us in this. Because there's something he wants to do with us in the midst of this pain and this sorrow. And even for our culture, he's trying to help us. He's trying to help our culture. He's trying to humble our culture and bring it to the place where it needs to be so he can turn around and bless us again. 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses. What? <laughs> in insults. How many have been insulted <laughs> lately? <laughs> in hardships. Persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak then I am strong. So that turns the whole thing around. This is the Apostle Paul, because he realized that when he was weak, you know, he, he actually was totally dependent on God. So that's where God's taken us as the church. He brought us to a place of total dependency. Total dependency means that we have prayer to offer. Total dependency means that we walk in the Spirit. We do what we can. We under limitations or whatever, but we just express Christ in whichever way we can. But we, we do it for Him, but His grace is sufficient for us. A deeper question for all of us is whether we truly want God or we just want His provision. 
Another question is whether we can truly trust God when we call out to Him. And I just want to read from Matthew chapter 6 for a minute. Those are two critical questions. Question, can we trust God when we call out to Him? Can we, can we do that? And, and also, do we want His provision or, or we, do we want Him? Because sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Mark chapter 6, or sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. So, okay. Clothes, you know, those simple things, right? But I got some big debt. I've got this, I got that, right? He's just trying to say to you the everything that you need. Don't worry. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? God's better than you think. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. How do you know the pagans are running after a whole bunch of things right now? <laughs> right? We just need to make sure we're not running after the same things in disguise. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. God's better than you think. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, I believe that the current time, we're in a great time of great discipleship in these matters. We're being discipled all over again by the Lord. He's, he's helping us to go back to these places. Why is He help, uh, having us go back to these places? Because He wants to bless us more. Isn't that amazing? He wants to not only be righteous and holy, but He, in that space, He's not a spoiled sport. He wants to bless you more. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's a dichotomy. Give, and it should be given to you. Right? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. So when we give, it's so weird. It's so weak. God, that's my last money. I, okay. And then He turns around, whammo. All the limitations it seems that we have in God, He's better than we think. Name is saying, I ain't going to go bathe that stupid slobby river <laughs> seven times I feel ridiculous, I am ridiculous Look, my men are looking at me and I'm just go, going up bobbing up and down <coughs> this is ridiculous before we laugh too hard just remember this is a principle for all of us and we're still walking it you are royalty <laughs> but the royalty of God goes through a few things Jesus Christ the king, our king went to the cross Paul the Apostle had so much uh, Apostle had so much trouble, he says, you know what? <clears throat> when I'm weak, I'm strong. I kind of like this weakness. This is when signs and wonders happen. when large numbers of people come to Christ. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. So somehow God in, in our life is negotiating this with us because He's better than we think. And even sacrifice, the thing we offered Him, God, God will always uh, up it for us and help us. And He's not just interested in spiritual things. In every area of our life He's interested in, pl- promising to bless. He's so big and so good. It's just so important we get a hold of that. Even in our afflictions. I love 
Psalm 32 so much. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. What a weak little thing prayer is. You're trying to pray and all these thoughts are invading your mind. Oh, what about the bell? Oh, my God. What are we going to do? I can't pray. This is crazy. It's just that we got on the wrong side of it. We think of prayer as weak, unsubstantial, but it's the most powerful thing you can do. <clears throat> you don't have to pray. You get to pray. Just remember that. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. And it feels like the words are just dropping off your mouth, but you'll get the hang of it. All you got to do is connect one or two times with the Lord and get a miracle. And then remember that miracle as hard as you can all your life. And just keep watching God reproduce them. Half the time we don't know the miracles because we're so distracted. We're so beyond it. We, we just forgot the goodness of God somewhere along the way in our trials, right? Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. No mighty waters are reaching me. How about you? There's some mighty waters out there. COVID-19 and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and all these debates. For you are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of love. Well, I don't feel very protected right now. <laughs> I felt that before. But these are our promises, and we have to walk this way. It all comes down to whether God's going to provide for us. This is a promise that's so great. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. That's what I like the best. He, Say, I'm going to counsel you, but I'm going to do it with love. I'm going to tell you what to do. Whoever is looking for something. How many need direction in here? And then the other half of your liars. <laughs> I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Here's the promise. I will counsel you with my love. Aren't you glad it's a loving eye? He's giving me a counsel with love in it. Even when you have to do some hard things, even hard scriptures, even things where you look like you're giving up, but you know you can never outgive God. He's greater than we think. He's always better than we think. You think you're giving up this much and you're getting that much. You're obeying over here, but God's actually the multiplier. He's not just an adder. Oh my, how powerful this is. And he says, you know what? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I will do it in love. I will counsel you. Well, I can't hear God's voice. You know, I've been in that place before. It's so difficult. I can't, what, what do you got? What do you want? What do you want? Sometimes God just holds back a little bit. But just wait. Be patient. He'll talk to you. And there's all kinds of ways He'll talk to you. There's circumstances through the Bible. Scripture is a friend. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or will not come to you. You know, I hate bit and bridle Christianity. I'm tired of, you know, to get me into the right place with God, I have to have this discipline, that happen, and this happen. You know, oh, man. I guess I should try prayer. Maybe I should go to church. Wow. Can I say something about church? Nobody says no, so I'm going to tell you about church. <laughs> Here's something about church. Look, where two or three of you gather together, it's a special kind of prayer. You notice that? There I am in your midst. So when two gather together in prayer or come to a meeting like this and there's more than two, guess what happens? He's here in our midst. That's a promise from God. When you come to church, come together with another brother or sister, wherever you are, you can guarantee that God's in your midst. How many need God to be in your midst? Because that's where the miracles are, right? So why do you stay away from other people, other Christians, other believers? Why do you do that? This is the stupidest thing you've ever done. It's crazy. You need the body of Christ. He built the whole darn thing on his goodness, and his goodness means you get together. He wants a people. That's what he's after, right? 
And he leaves the provision somewhere buried in there where two and three gather together. It's one of those powerful things you can do. So those powerful things we do around here is we agree in prayer over our finances, over our body, healing, whatever. We have healing rooms, all kinds of prayer meetings. We just do that because we're praying, interceding. Don't be like the horse, the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bed and bridle. They will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Why? Because God's a lot better than you think he is. And in many ways, a lot simpler. Ultimately, God not only healed Naaman, but he also gave him what he needed the most. He needed God. He didn't know who the real God was. Later, God even revealed himself to Naaman's entire nation. Naaman was just the beginning. God is more generous than we can imagine. Have you noticed that? So many things, you know, because it's us, we're concerned about us, but God's always looking beyond us. You need to be saved and fruitful because the world needs you. He made it so we're the light of the world. He made it so that there's a life beyond us. As believers, we are salt and light in this culture. And the invisible things are as important as the visible things. That's why even in Chronicles it says, you know, if my people will humble themselves and pray. Oh, how much is available through these humble things. Sowing in the community, being weak, being kind to people. Taking care of the weak and the poor, going on purpose and doing that. That's one thing I like, love about the warehouse and everything connected to it. It's a place that we can help because and when you help the weak, it's inevitable God's going to help you. Have you got that yet? Yeah. It's one of the greatest promises in the whole Bible, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so as we finish this story in a sermon, it's very, very interesting because Naaman getting healed wasn't the end of the story. Remember, we started off by talking about him, and what did we say about him? He's the main warrior. He's the main general. He's the guy in authority over the entire army, right? So what do you think happened when he got back? <laughs> sort of interesting, you know? And so they forget all that. And God hadn't forgotten Aram. So I'm sure he gave his testimony about what happened or something. Somebody knew about it, right? And nobody... You know, well, that's good fever. Good, good, good job, Naaman, you know. So look what happened. This is a little bit later in these verses. See, God was after Naaman, but not only Naaman, he's after the nation. God's not just after you, he's after the nation. But he's going to do it in his own way. And it may require some humility on our part. It require lots of humility on our part, right? He gives grace to the humble. He's better with us and think we're more powerful than we think because of God's greatness, because of God's power. In our weakness, He's strong. So have to do little things like praying, seem weak, helping people, loving people, being considerate, having a conversation with people, whatever the little tiny things are that make up the huge things that we see as a result for the whole culture. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such place. Now, this is Aram, remember? So, Naaman's gone home, and we got Aram. It's still a problem. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are down there. This is Elisha prophesying. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king, said he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. (laughs) 
None of us, my lord, the king said one of the officers, but Elisha the prophet who was in Israel tells the king of Israel the very word you speak in your bedroom. Can I just pause for a moment? Well, nobody's going to say no, so I'm just going to go ahead. <laughs> so listen, could it be, as we say, we're a prophetic church? Are we like prophets? Could it be that God could make His church like this? Giving information to the church? and We're trying to right now. We're not doing very well at that, but we're still, that prophetic thing is still rattling around. And guess what? Eventually, we're going to figure out how to do this. We're going to figure out how to give the king messages, right? We're going to figure it out by God's grace. We're just going to have to do a little more humbling, I think, on that part, because sometimes it just feels too showy to me. But these private conversations that happen, and I know of some of those, those are the ones that that count, the ones that never get publicized, but are spoken to a king in secret. It's going on as we speak, which is really cool. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what should we do? So the king says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go surround that Elisha. I'm going to get him because he's killing me, right? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Wow, what do you think he was thinking about? Wow, the servant's going, oh my gosh. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Oh, Lord, I pray you would open our eyes so we could see that greater are those who are with us than they are with them. I pray you would help us to see that. I pray we would see it with all our heart and mind. I pray you would open this congregation's eyes and all your church. I pray they'd open our eyes so we're not cowering, fearful, angry, upset. We're understanding greater is he that is with us than he that is with the world, including Israel. That The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of uh, horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. He led them right into the capital city. They're blind. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were there, right inside Samaria. Can you imagine? When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He said, no, don't kill them. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. God's better than you think. These guys are ruthless. They're horrible. They kill children. They rip children out of the womb. They're nasty, bad, horrible people. Israel wasn't so great either. But these people, they're terrible. They're as bad as any people that we know on the face of the earth. Take your country. What's the worst country you think in the world? These guys are worse. History records it. They're horrible. Ripping open pregnant women, destroying things, stealing them, forcing people into slavery. So he prepared a great feast for them. He prepares a feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Isn't that amazing? The whole thing was dealt with on another level. God's goodness overwhelmed the whole thing. They never had any more problem with Aram <laughs> after that. They could have all die. The whole army could have been killed right there. And Elias said, no, nah, mercy. That's all right. God's better than we think. Amen? So let's all stand.
Not by might, not by power, but my spirit says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but my spirit. So the great thing is when we come together in church here, we're going to live our life out, and we have lots of choices to make and lots of things that will happen. Just remember God's on your side. He'll help you. He is helping you. He'll talk to you. He's more for you than you can imagine. If he's for these old horrible enemies and armies and terrible dictators and terrible people that are ripping uh, people up and killing them, he's how much more for you? And you carry something unique. The blood of Jesus is on you, covering you in a way that made you literally sons and daughters of the Most High God. So our actions need to reflect that. That's who we are. We need to walk like that, think like that in every way possible, right? So I'd just like to take a moment uh, as we're closing here. Janice, can you play something a little bit? And uh, we'll just, uh, I don't know who we're going to have, but I just want to take a moment here. In this moment, I'd like you to think what it is that you need. What is it you've been battling? This weak thing called prayer is amazing. Because in this moment, we can change all kinds of things. It may take a few more moments after this moment, but I think we need just to come back down to ground level of our faith, okay? So Lord, here, here we are before you, and I want you to think of what it is that you're dealing with. What is it you're afraid of? Who's the king of Aram in your life? Who's the one that's threatening you? Is it a financial situation? Is it a family situation? Think about it for a minute. I'm going to have my daughter sing here in a little bit, and uh, just one song. But could I just get you to do something while you're in that place? Just tell God all about it. Just tell Him, especially at the point where you're most intimidated and most afraid. Just surrender it to Him. So well, I've done it a million times. Do it one more time. And don't stop until God changes your situation. And look for signs all along the way that he's doing something new. And as you see it, something improved, just say, God, thank you for that. I receive that. Now do more. One of the most famous prayers we have in our church is more, Lord. <laughs> it's in response to just some little thing we see God doing. But Lord, I'm asking you as we're praying during this song, and we're just going to sing this song, we'll be done. You can go before this if you like, but I just encourage you to take advantage of the moment of faith they were in and the worship and just do business with God. Just do business with God. Do it over your marriage. Do it over your children. Do it over direction. Pain. Money. Jobs. Do business in your weakness. He's better than you think.